Well, happy Tuesday, everybody, and welcome in another edition of This Week in Hockey along with Joe Vitale. I'm Alex Ferrario, ready to get into some hockey talk. And, Joe, you we wrap up last week's show on Tuesday, and then apparently all hell breaks loose in Blues news. We find out of a front office member leaving, a hiring of a new assistant coach, News breaks about Alex Petrangelo. Literally everything happens the day after our show ends. They they just don't like us, Alex. See I think what they so. did there? I think they're sick of it, and they're sick of our opinions. And they figure they're going to wait so that there can be a week in between well, Joe and Alex. And that's not even the only news that kind of broke after our show. That's true. There's some personal news. Is there? On your front. Oh, yeah. What's going on? I saw something on social media. So... Break this thing down. This is this isn't this isn't a hockey show. This no. is a fatherhood show, and you got some news. Maybe we should do a dad Could podcast you, of Joe Vitale and Alex Ferrar. Some dad advice. Could you break it? Could you break the news? You right want now? me to right can there? You? Can you I it? can. I mean, you did it on social media. Already, I did. A baby girl. It's a girl. It's a baby girl. Okay, because baby I, number one is going to be a girl. Congratulations. Thank I you. I couldn't understand on your social media what it was. Yeah, that's the so the problem. Like you did this whole build up. It was like a three minute video. Well, tell us, tell us what yeah, happened. So, but so at the very end, I was like, God, God, it ended. I'm like, couldn't well, what see the hell what it was. was. It? So my sister threw us the reveal party, which you know, awesome for for us to be able to have that from family. And we just invited our immediate family over to my house, and they put this together. And so my sister wanted to do something different, so she filled up six balloons, one filled with confetti that was pink, which of course represents it's a girl. And we threw darts at it. The problem was she forgot a rope to tie around the tree to hang the sign because. You know, a balloon that's not filled with helium. It's just hanging there. So the confetti's going to drop, but she forgot the rope. So we couldn't hang the sign so you could actually see the confetti fall. Gotcha. She had to set the confetti or the sign up on a cooler so that we could throw darts at it. And then when it popped, of course, it was the bottom one. And so no pink came out. So nobody really knew. And Couldn't I got tell. I got like five texts. They go, congrats, but what is, what it? is it? Like it's a girl. And they're like, oh, okay. But, uh, but yeah, so she's like, I probably should have did the smoke instead of the confetti. I said, eh, probably, you know, the powder that the pops powder, out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, but then she chose darts too. And she's like, well, I tried to do something creative. And I said, okay, but I suck at throwing darts. And I don't know if you noticed. I noticed. I hit one balloon yeah, and it I was the reveal. Your wife destroyed you in darts. She killed. She hit three of them. Yeah. Now, she didn't hit the one with the confetti. So guess you, that's you me. Hit that one. I popped the one that mattered, right? So my sister did confetti. We had all her nieces and nephews, brothers, sisters. There's like 40 people in my mom and dad's backyard, and they all had that same thing. They all have a balloon. Mm-hmm. And there was like, I think, you know, a bunch of, I think green, like 40, 39 of the 40 were green. <laughs> and then there was one big balloon that was either blue or pink, kind of like what you guys did. But yeah. They all popped them at once. And and they did that. So they popped the balloons and boom, it exploded. <laughs> And everyone, so all 40 balloons exploded, and this confetti, this green confetti flew everywhere, and then this little pink one, of course, in the mix. So they all did it, and it was this huge thing, and party, and everyone's hugging, and crying, and drinking, and da-da-da, whatever. And all of a sudden, after like a hugging and you know kissing for 20 minutes, they decide, all right, let's go inside. And I remember we all started going inside, and I look back, and my dad is the only one still on the lawn, just kind of like looking at all this confetti on his, <laughs> on his yard, thinking like, 
who the hell is gonna help me pick all this up? <laughs> my, so my sister, my sister's pregnant right now as well. And so last week or two weeks ago, we had the reveal party at my parents' house, and that my dad is like a, a landscape fiend. Like if his grass is not properly cut, he's got a problem. So they popped the balloon and the confetti poured everywhere, but it went in his rock, his gravel, and he just oh, stared at it. And he ouch. goes. Who's going to clean this up? So he was paying my my four-year-old and my three-year-old niece a quarter for every piece of confetti that they picked up. Ouch. Banked off of that, too. Ouchie, ouchie. I I know. I told my dad. I said, can I pick this up? Like, for a quarter of every piece of confetti? But no, you do that with nieces, I guess. So give me advice, Joe. We've talked baby, but now it's a girl. And I got to be honest with you. I'm a little nervous. I've never I've never raised a girl. I've only lived around a girl before, but I never raised a girl. Well, girls are way easier, I think. Are they? Oh yeah. Because I'm not so sure about that. Typically parents will say that a girl is easier until puberty. And then it switches. Boys are tough. Boys are boys, babies are harder. They the milestones, they don't hit the milestones as quickly. They're more temperamental, I found. And I think this is Really? Typically the case, we talk to most parents, uh, girls are girls are the best, and then puberty hits, and then it flips, and then boys are a lot harder, and then until puberty, and then they're like, just, oh, what's up, Dad? Want to crack open a, a brewski? And then there's easy, right? So a girl, listen, I love all my kids, but yeah. I love my girls, my babies. Yeah. Like, they're way better. Just remember, front to back. When you wipe, I've, always front to front back. Front to back. I've learned that. Front to back. I've learned that that's very important. Yeah, and listen, I got my boy circumcised, and that's like, that's hard to deal with. Smart, because you gotta like put load the diaper up with Vaseline. It's really oh, it's just kind of raw down oh, there. God, I didn't know that either. It's raw. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Girls are. You want to go with a girl? Okay. Girls good. are better. So, so good decision on my part to have a girl. Girls are better. Okay. How about names? You got no names yet? My wife's got a couple of okay. names, now, but and you know this probably from the name side. Mm-hmm. Like once you start telling people names, then everyone's opinions come out, right? Oh like, yeah. You like my mom. She's like, so what are you going to name her? Again, my, Katie has a couple of names. Like, we got three or four that she really loves and I love. But you tell somebody one of them, and they're like, oh, really? It's like, oh, okay, cool. So we've decided not to tell anybody until the baby's here. And when you do, when you tell people what the name is, you have to preface it with this. You say, listen, here's the name we like, so be very careful how you respond because this is what we're going with. You have to let them know that. You have to give them the opportunity to react responsibly. Because we did that with ours in the past, and be, it, people would have a reaction. Yeah. And it kind of soiled it a little bit. We still went with it. But now after the second and third, we're like, listen, Mom and Dad, this is the name we like, so be very careful how you respond. And then, of course, they did it Especially the right way. Especially because now Katie's hit the emotional stage of the pregnancy where, like, everything either gets her upset or makes her very angry so yep. it's like one or the other and, and at the party you know of course she saw the the gift somebody brought and it was a onesie and it was a, a little tutu on it and so like that she lost it like bawling her eyes out yep and it set in for me when i got the the outfit that said daddy's little girl on it and i'm like okay mm-hmm. this is reality now it's the best you're Six, gonna love it 16 weeks where we're at right now so speaking of alex petrangelo tie this back into hockey yeah he just had a little girl that's right and now he's got even more decisions to deal with julia they welcome little baby julia mom and baby apparently are doing great and this is something alex a lot of like fans when we of course knew about this but we knew that this bubble situation happened and the Blues would go to the Western Conference Final, mm-hmm. the Stanley Cup Final, like they, like we were hoping, but they didn't, of course. This was a player we knew the Blues would lose for a week, week and a half, maybe longer, depending on how the quarantine process worked at that time. But, uh, of course, the Blues did not 
pursue, and they lost. And then Alex comes home, but he did w- welcome his uh, fourth child yeah. to the mix. It's not triplets. It's just one. Thank God. This time. Triplets round two would not have been fun for him. Whoa. Yeah. How this, about that? Six kids at once. This has got to be so easy for him, though. Like, oh, yeah. When you have triplets, I would imagine, like, this is a simple process. Yeah. I mean, for mom, too. Yeah. I mean, I can't imagine. My aunt had triplets. I no. I just, like, you, you literally are a cow. <laughs> You're just producing milk at, the, at that point. You're not even human anymore. It's just a matter of just producing for every kid when it wants one, right? Yeah, you like walk around with the, the cowbell. <laughs> like you walk into the room, you're just like, like it's time to it's time to eat, kids. <laughs> I hope Alex and Janie aren't uh, listening to this one. That, they probably be, are. It'll yeah, be interesting. Show here. That's true. That's and Petro does love our show with he this does. one. You talk about tough decisions, though, Joe. Petro is going to have the toughest decision because. You know, everyone everyone sees the hockey side of this, and rightfully so, because for, for fans, right? You want the captain to be in St. Louis. But for what he's going to have to deal with now, of course, now you have four kids. Mm-hmm. Your wife's from St. Louis. The family lives in St. Louis. You've been in St. Louis. That's the emotional side of it. But Petro's at the point now where I think frustration has set in for him, and, and now you have to decide, can I really imagine life away from St. Louis as a hockey player. And I think that's going to be a decision that may seem easy to some people, but for him and his family, I don't think it's as easy as we make it. You know, I think that for Alex, I really believe this at this point, he is going to, he's a player that is going to do and make this decision for his family. He is a family driven guy. He loves his wife, loves his kids. And, And I can honestly sit here and say that a lot of players in the national hockey league, do not love their families, or, or I'm not going to put it that way, but they're not as committed to their family as Petro they're is. They're not letting them in on the decision-making as much as he is. His decision is, is to me, the majority of it is family-driven. A lot of players will look at it like, well, I want to win a cup, or I owe loyalties to this town, or I owe loyalty to, to this GM or this mm-hmm. coach, or I, I want to go play back in my home state, whatever that is, right? Petro, to me, it, it, it is simply what decision is best for my kids and for my wife. Now, Staying in St. Louis, yeah, that, that's pretty good for your family and in your family because you have family around, right? Your wife's from here, so that could be good. But I, I think it's more about, you know, where financially more stable can I be and where will my family enjoy? Yeah. So um, for me, Alex, based off of how I've gotten to know Alex and, you know, talking mm-hmm. to some players, we were at a Blues uh, golf tournament yesterday. I was talking to some guys. I, I think that Alex is is – okay walking if, mm-hmm. if it's not done. If a deal isn't in place and the money isn't right or it's not structured the way he wants it, I, I do not believe he is going to be afraid to leave. And I, and I believe that believe that to my core because of also what he's already done here is winning the Stanley Cup. Spent his whole career here. Uh, he's building a family here, which is all great stuff. Uh, there is some closure for him, I think, because he's won a cup. So I think that if the money isn't right or it's not where he wants it, um, he can he can walk. And I think he will because he's looking at it like, let's take, for example, Fort Lauderdale. Yeah. It's a wonderful place to raise kids, a wonderful place to live. And if the price is right where he wants it and where Newport, his agency, wants it, I don't see him walking away from that. Yeah. And I think his, his family will still be connected here in St. Louis. Maybe they spend summers here. You know, it's player, players can uh, be, get creative as far as how they stay connected to their wives, stay connected with their home states and home cities. Yeah. So, you know, with the tax benefits down there, um, you know, it just there's so much that makes sense. And yeah. I think that he's looking at that whole thing. And he's looking at and he's, his one question is, how does this make sense for my family? And if it does make sense, I'm telling you right now, 
he'll walk. Yeah, well, and I think that's it. And a lot of people, you know, listening now, if you haven't seen the reports, you know, Darren Dreger and Jeremy Rutherford both had it over the weekend that basically the Blues and Petrangelo's side have not been able to come to an agreement. And the Blues have advised Petro to look into free agency that opens up on October 9th. And Joe, this whole time, I've kept the optimism that this gets done with it, with it, with Petro. I thought that this is just the negotiation side of it. This It's hardball from Doug Armstrong because he does know that he has to keep a franchise in order and it's a lot of money to pay somebody but I've kept the optimism there I'm not saying it's gone all the way but it has dipped for me from you know I was at about a 90 to 95 percent dropping down to about a 75 percent right now Mm -hmm. because I think this changes some things now and he is open to the idea of free agency I'm curious your angle do you feel like this has changed at all you know, I think that it's continued to go uh, in a direction that's not favorable for St. Louis. Yeah. You know, and, uh, you know, those reports that came out last week, I, I don't know. I don't know how much truth there is. To I those. agree. You know, I I just without hearing from Petro, without hearing from Doug Armstrong, I, I think a lot of that is just noise. Uh, but at the same time, you're looking at uh, a situation where you have a player in Alex Petrangelo, an agency in Newport, that are they throwing information out there in a strategic way to get leverage? Maybe. I mean, with social media, you can't you can't deny that idea that hey, let's let's have Burnside get in on something, or let's have uh, Drager, or you know Bob McKenzie. Yeah, Bob, you can throw this out there. This is where we're at. Is it strategic to think that they just are saying that in in a way where it's going to hopefully get the Blues to get a little bit more aggressive? Maybe, but um. So I'm not saying it's not true that they are reporting facts. I think they are. I just don't know how much of it is just driven through the, the strategy yeah. of negotiations. Does that make any sense? Yeah, it makes a lot of sense with that. And I think that's what I, I always try and remind people this. And look, you know, over the weekend I saw it and some frustration built up for me. Where it was like, man, I can't believe it's gotten to this point. But then the more you think about it, you think, well, how much of this is what they want us to see rather than what's going on behind the curtains. And we all know that Doug Armstrong keeps things very close to the chest in terms of negotiations with players of his, his, uh, his team. Um, and I always like to remind people that there are two sides to every negotiation. So you may see something and think, well, that's not right. But there's more to it that either leaks out later or you just will never know about the conversation. Yeah. And listen, Doug, Doug's a businessman. You know, he's a business-minded general manager. Not all of them are like that. Some some are very emotional. They, they, they make decisions emotionally. You know, for how long Shane Doan stuck around yeah. in Arizona. They felt like they just owed him that, you know, and, and he deserved that. You know, you look at the contracts in L.A. and Chicago with, you know, Duncan Keith and Seabrook and Taves. Like, you won two cups, or three cups, whatever it was, and you—, you you feel like you deserve to give them these contracts. They've earned it based off of what they've already done. Doug doesn't necessarily think that way. He's not going to look at what Alex has done here. He's won a cup. He's the captain, the first person to ever raise a cup in this franchise's history. He's not going to look at that cute, sexy story and think, oh, he deserves this money. No, he's going to look at it like, where are we right now? Mm-hmm. What, how much do you want? And how does this look in the future? Business-wise, I don't know if this makes as much sense as as we like to think. You know, I brought up. You know, Seabrook. I think he's got four years left on his deal. Yeah. He's he's 35. You know, you look at Ryan Suter in Minnesota, also 35. His career is starting to, to, to trend downward. He's got like five years left on his deal, making like six or seven million dollars. I mean, these players are making a lot of money with four or five years left on the table of these deals. This is this is the tricky part. If you're a general manager, not many contracts 
have worked out where when you're 30 and you sign an eight-year deal, you are effective until you're 37, 38, mm-hmm. unless you're Nicholas Lindstrom. Right. He, he's the rarity, right? The majority of these defensemen start to trend downwards at 34, 35. And, and Doug knows that. And then you know what? Alex knows that. But, you know, is he is he trying to get as much as he can? Yeah. yeah. And does he deserve it? Absolutely. I think he deserves Roman Yossi money. Roman Yossi, I know he just won the Norris. I know his numbers were better this year. But from a control standpoint, from a player that you want on your team to make a difference in the game, Alex is right up there with Roman Yossi. Mm-hmm. Roman making nine now. Will Alex get that now with the pandemic? No. But does he deserve it? Yes. And I think Newport is in his ear saying, this is the money you earn. This is the money you can you deserve to earn. And if the Blues can't even come close to that, you know, heck with them. And yeah. I think that's where we're at. Yeah, I think that's where we're at, too. I want to get more into this, too, a little bit later because we had some really interesting quotes from a couple of former players and, of course, people who cover the Blues talking about this Petro situation. We're here until 7.30 tonight on This Week in Hockey. We got some great guests lined up. Scott Burnside is going to join us at about 6.30 tonight uh, to talk a little bit about the Petro situation. But also, he had a really interesting conversation with Bill Daly about what next year can look like for the NHL. And then we're also going to talk with former NHL and a former teammate of Joe Vitale. Sam Gagne. So lots of fun along the way. Make sure you stick around with us until 7.30 tonight. It's This Week in Hockey here on your home for the Blues 101 ESPN. Back in on This Week in Hockey Tuesday night, Alex Ferrario, Joe Vitale hanging out with you. Stanley Cup final game number three coming your way tomorrow night. And Joe, we got ourselves a series, buddy. Dallas takes the lead and then Tampa just goes out there and tell you what though, Tampa takes a 3-0 lead, but Dallas nearly tied that thing up late in the game. That was a fun game, too. Yeah. I mean, bodies were everywhere. I mean, the intensity. That was that was a fun game to watch. Dallas really surprised me. I mean, you, you look at this series, and you look at them coming in, both teams and Dallas. I, I, I could see Tampa just sweeping. I mean, yep. they were playing so good. And, you know, Dallas was like, when, when is their time going to run out? And they got their backup goaltender. And I, I don't know. Their offense can dry up in a hurry. And But, man, they came out win that first one. And then uh, I, I know one thing. If I'm Rich Bonus and I'm the Dallas Stars, stay out, stay the heck out of the penalty box. Seriously. Just don't go there. Yeah. Do not go there. Because if they can say keep this thing 5-on-5, five five, I, I can see Dallas taking this thing And down. they found a weak spot. I mean, you put four goals on Andre Vasilevsky, that means you can beat the guy. You can beat him. And he's a big guy. Yeah. You know, but I tell you what, they've gotten con- contributions from everywhere. Alexiak on the board in game one. He's a Husky dog. Do you know that? Not a big deal. Northeastern Husky. No? Big fella. Did he play with you? No, he was a little bit after me. Oh, that makes sense. Young Buck. Young Buck? (laughs) Young Buck. But hey, it's been a fun series. Uh, I said Dallas in six when this thing started. You did? Wow. I I did. Just the way that Hudobin's been playing, when you got swag as a goaltender, and we saw it last year with Bennington, and we saw it this year a little bit with Markstrom, and last year a little bit with Bishop. When a guy's got some swag going into a series, Mm -hmm. it's hard to stop him in. Hudobin with that defense in front, and look, if Stamkos comes back for Tampa, I think you're talking about a whole different situation. Yeah. But this is a damn good team in Dallas right now on the defensive side, so it's going to be tough. Yeah, I just I like the leadership qualities, and I like just the veteran presence more in Dallas. Yeah, I think they I think they they have that that sixth sense, fifth gear, whatever you want to call it, just that extra magic because they to me you're looking at a player like Pavelski, uh, Corey Perry hasn't yes. won this thing in a long time. I mean, Jamie Ben. Uh, you know, Sagan, the, who won it in 2011. Tyler Sagan, I mean, who Dobin's this crazy, awesome story. Mm-hmm. I just, I feel like they got that grit factor. That maybe too. Tampa has lost a little bit of that edge. And I think a big part of that is because Stamkos is out of the lineup. Yeah. So since we're talking about Dallas's play, you know, you have to correlate the two because he was the head coach there for a year and a half. And that's the new Blues assistant coach. And I guess I should label him as the Kirkwood 
midget mm-hmm. assistant coach with Thank Joe you. Vitale, Jim Montgomery. Yep, that's right. Yeah, everyone was kind of excited about having Jim Montgomery as the Blues' new assistant. I was pissed. I said, <laughs> I think this is a terrible hire. I was like, really? I'm like, yeah, it's a bad move. I'm like, well, what do you mean? I was like, well, listen, he's coaching the squirt division with me. We're the Seals. We're the Kirkwood Seals. 10U. And I, and I had him, and I don't have him anymore. Now, to tell you, Jim Montgomery was on with us on Ribs and BK this week. I believe yesterday, yesterday he was. Well, of course it was yesterday because this week's two days. Days on, are running together on, in 2020. Alex. He said that he's not going to give up coaching with you. He said, I'm going to be there until the season starts. He said that, huh? Yeah. All right. Well, so you got an assistant coach still. Well, we had our Kirkwood evaluations over the weekend in Pacific, and uh, my daughter is end up on his, on his son's team. Oh, yeah. So we're back together uh, for the whole year, and we got a great coach in Scott Waddell out in Kirkwood. He's like a legend out there, so he's a, he just makes hockey fun. I love him to death. So both of our kids were on Scott's team. So Jimmy and I are both going to, we're both going to help. And you know, it's funny. I um, I ran into someone today, and you know, so listen, the drama with youth hockey. I mean, the drama with any youth sports these days. Is <laughs> oh insane. yeah. <laughs> so they did pick the teams. They ended up picking teams, and there's like seven teams. There's so many teams. Everyone's playing hockey. It's awesome. It's so great to see. And, you know, there's always some parents and some kids that aren't too excited about the team they landed on. <laughs> and, you know, our, our me and Jamie's kids are brand new to the sport, so we're kind of right in the middle there. They're not, they're not on a great team. They're not on a terrible team. <laughs> but I guess there were some maybe some parents that are not so happy. And, and, and this, this guy said, hey, listen, if you end up on this team, I don't want to hear any, you know, moaning or, or griping <laughs> because you got – the Dallas Stars former coach who was one bounce away from the Stanley Cup final as your coach. So shut up and just let your son play on this team. I don't care if you think he's better. So it was kind of funny. We had a good laugh about it. But I think it goes back, Alex, to you know this the great coaching here in St. Louis. Players that stick around. Uh, Jim, of course, met his wife here when he was playing. Uh, he's back here. And, and listen, uh, to tie this back into the Blues, I yeah. am so happy for him. You know, he, this is an opportunity of a lifetime, and I mean that because how often do you get a chance to coach in a city where either you're from or your wife's from? It, it's mm-hmm. so incredibly rare, and I think that you know Tom Stillman did a great thing here by um, you know when Savard left, and they, they had a hole, they had a, someone got to fill in there, and Jimmy's going to come in here and he's going to do a fantastic job. Not only just a great mind uh, for hockey, he's won everywhere he's gone. Um, from Notre Dame to Dubuque uh, to Denver to Dallas. I mean, literally everywhere he's gone, he's won. So he's got the hockey knowledge. But what I love about Jim is just that he is just such a a, a personable guy. You know, in my first year when I was a broadcaster, I would go to these, you know, I was kind of intimidated. Some of these coaches, I never really had a conversation with Babcock and all, all these incredible, you know, Bruce Cassidy's of the world. And, you know, there's certain energies and auras you pick up on from these coaches. And Jimmy st- stood out to me. Uh, when he was in Dallas because of how he just had a great conversation with me and, and he gave me the time of the day and he just he he, he was engaged in the conversations when, when we were talking. Mm-hmm. I'll never forget that. I think it speaks uh, volumes to the type of guy he is, to the character that he possesses. And for me, Alex, there's, there's no reason why um, he's won everywhere he's gone because when you have a good person like that, guys are going to want to follow him. So this has been a great hire. Well, and the way I tell people this, because I've been asked a lot, you know, is this a good thing before, or the good hiring for the Blues? And I said, look, if if what happened, and Jim has been a phenomenal person speaking on what has happened in Dallas. On Monday, he talked with Ribs and BK and I about the alcohol abuse and how, you know, he's learned from it. He's nine months sober, and you love a comeback story like this. But I tell people that ask if this is a good hire, 
he would still be the head coach of the Dallas Stars yeah. if what happened to him didn't happen back in December when he was fired. Oh, absolutely. He would still be there. He was a bounce away from winning the Stanley Cup, and if he wins that cup, I think a lot of people would agree he'd probably be in a Stanley Cup final that year because San Jose was a team that the Blues just walked over and Dallas was just as good as St. Louis was. So you just hired a guy who's a head coach, who should be a head coach still, but now is going to be the second voice along with Steve Ott and Van Ryn to Craig Berube. And when you have that many minds working together it's going to benefit the team no matter what. It is. I mean, look what the Philadelphia Flyers have done. They've put so yeah. much knowledge and experience behind their bench. You know, you have Elaine Vigneault as the head coach in Philadelphia. Uh, of course, you have Mike Yo as an assistant and then Terrian as another assistant. I mean, all three of those guys have been head coaches and could be a head coach in the National Hockey League. You put all the three guys behind the bench and look what Philadelphia did this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, they they finished first in the Eastern Conference uh, before they got bounced in the playoffs. Uh, a team that just uh, blew a lot of people out of the water as far as expectations that they could not believe they exceeded the expectations they had, which were not very good to start the year. But I think when you have that much knowledge, when you have a game plan, but when you have the respect of the players, I mean, that's huge. That's everything. Look, yeah. what, look what Craig Ruby did. Of course. Players got that respect for him. And, you know, when you have Jim Montgomery in the locker room and he's speaking about a power play, you're, you're going you're gonna to draw attention. Players, you know, they, they, they sniff out phoniness. They sniff out a good coach. They sniff out a guy who's played in the league and hasn't played in the league. Uh, they sniff out genuineness, integrity. And, and Jim's got that. And I think that these, the players are really going to respond very well to him. And, again, he, he's got the hockey knowledge of a head coach, but I like him because he can get down on – down on his knees to the player's level and mm-hmm. just reason with them and talk to him like a human being and treat him like a human being because a lot of head coaches can't. A lot of head coaches in the league, they got that whip and they got to be that tough guy and that that's kind of the persona of it, right? And you can't get too close to your players. Well, Jimmy can do that and now he can do it on an assistant level, a little bit less pressure and uh, and I'm, I'm just happy for him on a personal level where he can be with his family uh, as he continues to recover and, and, and be with his wife and kids and I think it's awesome. Yeah, I do too. One more thing I wanted to mention, Joe, that I think is going to be huge for Jim Montgomery. We don't know what his role is going to be if it's going to be offense defense power play eye in the sky on the bench that we don't know that I don't think he knows right now but he's going to have an effect on these young players look at what he did in Dallas for the short time he was there he turned Rope Hints into a a problem for a lot of teams who was a young player at the time that he was the head coach the same with Erratic Foxa the same with working with Amiro Haskinen and these young players it's going to be very effectful mm-hmm. or effective for this Blues team with Cairo Blay Thomas uh, Perunovic, Mikola, Pareko, like that's going to be huge for this team. Well, that's an advantage, and also I think as an advantage that as now the Blues are preparing for games, you know they have a basically a head coach of, yeah. of a rivalry in your locker room now, and Jim's going to say, "Hey guys, this is something that we always did against you because we knew it could beat you, and we've proven that it can beat you." A lot of coaches and a lot of teams they're going to try to do this. We, I'm just giving you. It's almost like it's almost like you're you're in war. And a general switches sides. Yeah. And now you got the general on your side. And now you can look at what your enemy was thinking of you the entire time. That's a good point. You know, it's like a really cool, cool way to think about it. And I think it's going to be such an advantage. Yeah. You know, and, and again, with the knowledge and the experience behind that bench, I'm telling you, we, we may have the most well-rounded. I'm not going to say we had the most experience or maybe not the best, but I'm saying well-rounded coaching staff now. I mean, because you got Craig Berube is that hard-nosed guy with lots of playing experience. You have uh, the youngsters and Mike Van Ryn and Steve Ott that can get down to a player's level that remember what it's like to be in the locker room. Very recently, they're so so uh, currently removed from the game. 
And then you have this like brainiac Jim Montgomery, this kind of a conglomerate of everything, yeah. the knowledge and the personality and um, the class, the class of the game. So it's it's definitely I don't know if it's the best, but it's going to be the most uh, least well rounded Alex coming into this next season. I like the sound of that. We'll talk a little bit about that with Scott Burnside, who used to cover the Dallas Stars, now of course works with the Athletic and knows a little bit about Jim Montgomery. So we'll hear his thoughts on that and get his thoughts as he had a conversation on the Two Man Podcast with Bill Daly of what next season could look like in the NHL. So we'll get all of that with Scott Burnside next here on this week in hockey on 101 ESPN. Back in here on this week in hockey, Joe Vitale, Alex Ferrario with you here on a Tuesday, and we are honored now to welcome in the national writer for The Athletic, and he is the co-host of the Two Man Advantage podcast. He is Scott Burnside. Scott, it's great to catch up with you tonight, sir. How are you? I'm doing very well. I haven't heard the word honored in a conversation with me in a long time, so I, I feel like it's already the high point of my day, so thank you for that. Well, I like to make guests feel good and comfortable, and that's what Joe and I try. We try and create that environment here, Scott, so that's what we're going with. Hey, let me start with this one for you, Scott, because I know you covered the Dallas Stars the year before Jim Montgomery took over as the head coach, and then, of course, you went to The Athletic doing a phenomenal job with The Athletic, but you still covered Jim Montgomery. Just give me your thoughts on the man that he is, the coach that he is, and the move that the Blues did by bringing him on board. Yeah, you, you know what? I, I think it is. Uh, I, I just think it's a nice fit for Craig Berube and his staff. I think it's a, a, um, a bold. I don't know whether it's a bold move. I, I just think it's a, a solid move by the St. Louis Blues organization. I mean, Jim Montgomery has been very candid about um, some of the issues he's confronted. They led directly to his dismissal by the Dallas Stars early in this regular season. Um, he's been very candid about that, talking about his own journey, uh, dealing with alcohol issues. Um, I think the fact that he's been upfront about it, and I think really as a whole, the game is a lot more open to um, discussing issues of mental health, other problems that people face, whether they're players or executives or coaches. So um, I, I think that, the, you know, everyone's gone into this relationship with their eyes wide open. Uh, I, I think what when you think about Jim Montgomery, I, I don't think there's any question that he is a top-level coach. I, I remember talking to Tyler Sagan at the All-Star Game in St. Louis, and we were talking about the coaching changes there. Of course, Rick Bonus taking over the Stars now, three wins away from a Stanley Cup championship. Um, but Tyler Sagan spoke so glowingly about playing for Jim Montgomery, felt very saddened at the way things had happened um, with Jim and the Dallas Stars. Um, I think Jim Nill, the GM there, feels very much the same way. I felt that it was, an, it was a move the team had to make, um, but also I think tremendous respect for the coach that Jim Montgomery is and, and I think still can be. So uh, I, I think it's a nice fit. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see, of course, whenever we see the 2021 season come back, how Jim Montgomery fits into this. But um, I do think it's a nice move, and I, and I think it's a good fit for both the team and the coach. Scott, you look at last year with Craig Berube taking over for Mike Gio after he gets fired. This past season for the Dallas Stars, as you just mentioned, Jim Montgomery loses his job in Dallas, and then Rich Bonus takes over. We saw what happened with Craig Berube winning a cup. Now Rich Bonus three wins away from winning a cup after taking over halfway through a season. Um, maybe discuss a little bit about the trend of the NHL, of how these coaches taking over halfway through. We saw it with Sullivan in Pittsburgh. We saw it with Bilesma in Pittsburgh. Um, is, is it a surprise? In, or is it still considered to be a surprise for a coach to take over halfway through the season and, and not only get to the cup, but win? 
Yeah, no, I, I'm sure it's uh, it's disconcerting for uh, longtime established coaches that it, it it might take a coaching change midseason to bring a championship to town. But I think you know, for me, when you you have to look at the specific teams that are involved, um, you know, with the Blues, obviously, I think there was uh, there was no question that there was there, the key parts of that lineup. Um, you know whether you felt they could win a cup or not. Certainly, the the lineup should have been doing better than they were. Uh, when that coach, when uh, Doug Armstrong made the coaching change, going from Mike Yo to Craig Berube, and um, certainly the circumstances in Dallas, they got off to a tough start, and then Jim Montgomery really turned the ship around there. <clears throat> so it wasn't like the team had gone sideways before they went to Rick Bonus as the interim head coach there. Um, so each, I think each uh, incident is you have to take in its own specifics as opposed to a kind of a trend. But and I think it, you have to look at the personalities, right? I mean, Craig Berube's personality was really important, I think, for a team that needed to, you know, need to find its way, needed to be, you know, sort of held accountable. And it, this is not a slight against Mike Yo, but I think Craig Berube brought a very different voice and, and tone and tenor. But Rick Bone is a very easygoing guy. I'm not saying he's in sort of a soft coach. He is an easygoing guy. I think he's a guy that really found the way to connect with the team after the disruption of, of Jim Montgomery's firing. Um, and, and that was a team that went through some tough stretches as well. By the time the pause happened, they hadn't played very well, hadn't scored much. Um, and, but they really obviously found their groove uh, coming out of the round robin. And and, uh, and what Rick Bonus has done there has, is, is rather remarkable, right? The integration of the young players, Rope Hintz, Dennis Gurionov, Mira Haskin, and, and then getting tremendous uh, production from veteran players. You know, Jamie Benn has played maybe his best hockey, um, certainly in the playoffs as a Dallas star, maybe going back, um, you know, four or five years uh, with the stars. Uh, John Klingberg, I think, has been outstanding, especially as the playoffs have gone along. So a really nice job by Rick Bonus. Um, I, I think really to sort of capture the moment, and especially in the bubble, he's done a phenomenal job. And it'll be interesting to see what that team does and what Rick Bonus wants to do uh, vis-a-vis coming back as a head coach. My guess is if he wants that job, in Dallas, it'll be his. The question of whether that's what he wants for his life and lifestyle right now. Again, we're talking with Scott Burnside of The Athletic here on This Week in Hockey. Joe Vitale, Alex Ferrario with you. Scott, the other news surrounding the Blues right now, of course, and the biggest news in this offseason is going to be what happens with Alex Petrangelo. A lot of reports over the weekend of kind of where things are at and kind of Petro being told to explore free agency. Are you surprised that it's gotten to this point, and do you think or have any optimism that it still can get done with the Blues? Yeah, I, I'm not surprised at how it's, it's shaken down, and, and I think you're going to see, because of so much uncertainty with the flat cap at $81.5 million, and because of the uncertainty moving forward, I mean, that who knows when the cap may go up again. Teams are going to have to be ultra-cautious with, with how they spend their money, and you know, the Blues are in a situation especially having extended Justin Falk at the start of the the regular season, which only seems like 120 years ago. (laughs) Um, It it really is, I I think it is a a landscape that everyone is is really testing very gingerly. You know, I think it's important never to say never. I go back to, you know, we watched Steven Stamkos go, literally go to market as a free agent, had lots of discussion with whether it was Toronto or Buffalo, lots of teams courting Steven Stamkos. 
ultimately ended up signing long-term with the Tampa Bay Lightning. Uh, I'm not sure it's as easy for Alex Petrangelo, um, the man with a, a, a young family. He's, this is an opportunity as a UFA um, to really secure his and his family's future in terms of term and dollar. Does it mean it can't happen in St. Louis? Um, again, never say never, but my guess is that it, it's going to be difficult for the Blues and Alex Petrangelo and his camp to come to an agreement on what makes sense for both the team and the player. And and because Alex Petrangelo is such a, um, a sought-after quality, he's a leader, he's a winner, he's a big body, he shoots from the right side. We know that there are teams in the NHL who covet a player like that. Connor Maple Leafs have already made moves in this offseason or since they were um, bounced from the play-in round to clear salary cap space so Kyle Dubas, the GM there, can, can hopefully find a right handed shot impact top four defensemen. So that's what Alex Petrangelo is. Now, is there money in term in Toronto that makes sense for Alex Petrangelo? Um, you know, we're not we're not there yet. We won't know maybe until October 9th or 10th or 11th um, when free agency opens. But I do think there will be a lot of people calling Alex Petrangelo. I've heard, uh, you know, in my, uh, in my discussions, uh, at one point there seemed to be a possible fit with the Vegas Golden Knights. Now, uh, it will be interesting to see with their situation um, there, but I think some changes are needed for Vegas to take that next step to a championship, so uh, I don't think there'll be any shortage of suitors for Alex Petrangelo, um, and whether he moves on from the Blues or not, I think his legacy is cemented there as one of the most important players in franchise history. Scott, I want to transition here to uh, you know Bill Daly, of course, uh, in the news with Gary Bettman addressing you know details of the upcoming season when fans can look forward to hockey again. You know, December, January, they kind of had some rough details and uh, as far as how that goes. I wanted to get your take on it. Uh, is was there anything in particular that stuck out to you? And I know one thing that concerns St. Louis fans as well. My second part of the question was, you know, is it possible that we will see the start of the season on that Winter Classic? between the St. Louis Blues and Minnesota Wild. Yeah, I think uh, I think basically everything is on the table right now. And uh, in Bill Daly joined our podcast, the Two Man Advantage podcast. I guess it's two weeks ago now, and it, it just it, there is it, there's so much that is out of the control of the league and and the players because basically you'll have a very similar dynamic. Uh, the one that led to the return to play protocols and the new CBA. Uh, there will be a similar return to play committee. I know the NHLPA is trying to assemble that group of players as we speak. Um, uh, but, I mean, you start with the Canadian border. Right now it remains closed. Um, I think there are people who believe that it's quite possible that border will remain closed until the calendar year changes. So now you're thinking about 2021. Uh, does that mean you start play with an all-Canadian division as a one-off type of situation because the travel within Canada would be something that could be facilitated. But, of course, teams can't be flying from the States um, in and out of Canada, and the Canadian teams couldn't go out and then come back without having to quarantine. So um, that's a huge issue to start with. Um, the, the idea of playing without fans um, is, is a very real prospect. I know Gary Batman mentioned that that is, you know, as, you know, as a possibility, do you start with no fans and then slowly trickle toward having more more and more fans in your stadium, depending on the COVID spread and, and the, the possible vaccine, uh, rapid testing, all those kinds of things. Um, that is a possibility.
possibility as well. I've talked to some people about, you know, is the idea about multiple smaller bubbles to start the next season. So that allows players to come in, play some games, and then go back out, rotate in um, teams into maybe three or four geographic bubbles in the United States. Um, that's a possibility, certainly in talking to Bill Daly. The idea of playing an 82-game schedule in a bubble is, is off the table. It doesn't work economically. The players don't want that. Um, but would there be bubbles to start a season? And those are possibilities. I did talk to a team president who said, listen, anybody who thinks they know what is going to happen next season um, is, is basically they have no idea. <laughs> it's not real. So, and and I think Gary Bettman and Bill Daly, you know, in their discussions with the media in the last few days leading up to the final, were very candid about that. No one knows. We're completely dealing with the unknown. And, you know, as well as the players and, and the league did in establishing the two bubbles, having a playoff tournament that is now nearing its end has been almost flawless. I think that pales in comparison to what lies ahead in trying to arrange and plan and pull off a 2021 season, especially if the league, as they hope to, are, are going to play 82 games. It just, uh, it, it, it's going to be a very difficult task. And as for your question on the Winter Classic, possible. It's hard to imagine a Winter Classic with, um, you know, with anything more than a small percentage of fans by January 1st. But maybe we get to that point sooner than later, and maybe that's a good way to kick off what would be an unprecedented season for the NHL. Um, I'm a big Winter Classic fan, so I hope I hope it happens in some fashion for, for both those markets. Couldn't agree more, and it's going to be a fascinating offseason. Scott Burnside, thank you so much for taking some time out. Check his workout on The Athletic. Check out the podcast, um, Two-Man Advantage. It's great to catch up with you, Scott, and uh, we hope to be talking again soon as this uh, free agency opens up. Anytime, guys. That's Scott Burnside. I'm Alex Ferrario. He's Joe Vitale. We'll come back and wrap up our number one next here on This Week in Hockey. Wrapping things up here tonight here on This Week in Hockey, at least for our number one. we got a whole other hour coming your way. Sam Gagne, NHL forward and former teammate of Joe Vitale. He's going to join us in the next hour, and we'll get more into the Alex Petrangelo situation because I know we have a lot of people asking questions about this Petro stuff, so we'll try and answer the best we can as we wrap things up here on This Week in Hockey. But, Joe, let's talk about something else that happened for the Blues um, this past week. And that's losing the director of amateur scouting for the St. Louis Blues and working right underneath Doug Armstrong, Bill Armstrong, as he was announced that he signs a contract to be the next general manager of the Arizona Coyotes. So first off, congratulations to Bill Armstrong on that. But Joe, a couple of tie-ins here. One, you know Bill from your work here with the Blues. And two... He's going to a former team of yours, the Arizona Coyotes. Yeah, super happy for Bill. Uh, an incredible opportunity. Well-earned, well-deserved. I don't think anyone was surprised by this move. No one looked at this move for Bill and said, oh, the, so many other guys deserved it. To me, Bill Bill was the guy for this job. And I know what, you know when when Chica stepped down, Steve Sullivan, my former teammate, who was assistant to the GM at the time, stepped in. And I think they kind of looked at Steve Sullivan and uh, a great career. He's got a great mind. I think he's just a little bit raw. There's just not a lot of experience right there. And probably from an amateur scouting standpoint, which we see is is so big and so important. And and this is you know you know Bill Armstrong's bread and butter. Yeah. This is what he's done so well. He's drafted very well and he's he's gotten guys into the American Hockey League and he's got them groomed and ready for the National Hockey League. He's had a great draft class. You know, you look at players like Robert Thomas and Jordan Cairo and all these kind of great ads. Uh, so Bill Armstrong he's a just a, a classy guy. Every season, you know, we would start usually the preseason in Dallas. 
Uh, that pre- first preseason game was either Dallas or Washington the last couple of years. And Bill would always sit down with Curbs and I, and we would pretty much go through all the young players. Wow. And and Bill just was so great about being so detailed. And and the one the one comment my first year on the job, I, I'm getting ready for my first game, super nervous, but we're sitting down with Bill in, in the in the bowels of the Dallas uh, American Airlines Center there. And, you know, he said, and keep an eye on this Nico Mikula. And like, oh, yeah, big guy. He's like, big guy. He's a dog on a bone. This guy is going to be a player. And he starts going on. Little things like that, like details like that <laughs> that we could use, uh, especially in those preseasons, because uh, it's important for Curbs and I to kind of have a little bit of knowledge about these players. And then when we see him kind of groom and come up in the league and we can say, hey, Bill Armstrong sat down with us and said that this kid was a dog on the bone, and now here he is. And, man, what a hit that was. Yeah. So Bill was just so helpful. Um, to to me and to Curbs and, and to everyone in this organization, he's been a great a great ad for for Doug Armstrong, assisting in winning the Stanley Cup and for his entire tenure here. and And I wish him Alex nothing but the best because he's just a tremendous human being. I agree, and you know we're hopeful that we can have Bill on next week. We tried to get him on tonight, but uh, uh, you know he's got a lot going on right now in Arizona with press conferences and media requests. But hopefully we'll be able to catch up with him next week because I agree, one of the nicest guys that I've ever had the chance to chat with in the Blues organization uh, just every year about those prospects at the beginning of the year but with this you know the the job that was rumored for bill was the florida panthers job and then i believe zito got that position i forgot i'm forgetting the first name of him but he got the job in florida which made some sense because florida was looking for that kind of experience level but arizona makes a lot of sense for bill armstrong and you know i was thinking about this the other night joe the success that bill has had in st louis with the draft picks and kind of finding these diamonds in the rough of the Blues, you know, drafting lower in the first round or not even having a first-round pick and still being successful, mm-hmm. that's Arizona's bread and butter right now mm-hmm. because we've heard that they're talking about shedding a lot of salary, trying to be below that salary cap level that's going to be 81.5 next year. Bill Armstrong might be the smart guy for that role of finding these these players that maybe nobody's expecting a lot from, kind of like Billy Bean Moneyball from from the uh, the the Oakland Athletic side of it, finding those guys that aren't making a lot of money that can win because of stats. But Bill Armstrong is going to find guys that maybe people are looking past to help out the Arizona Coyotes. Yeah, you know, and and that's something the Arizona Coyotes have been brutal at. They have not drafted very well. No. I mean, you know, for how bad that team was for a long stretch, you look at some of those high draft picks and. And they're not playing for them anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, Max Domi is a player that just stands out. Not with the Montreal Canadiens, although I've heard he's, he may be getting moved this offseason. But uh, has Dylan Strome. Dylan Strome. He was third Chicago. overall after Connor McDavid and Jack Eichel back that one year. Uh, Dylan Strome, now he's in Chicago. You're mm-hmm. right. So they lose Dylan Strome. They lose a Max Domi. Anthony Duclair was another yeah. first rounder. I think those were three consecutive years yep. in a row. And now Anthony Duclair was in Ottawa. Had a terrific year in Ottawa, too. Mm-hmm. I think he almost scored 30 goals. I mean, <laughs> He was an all-star. He was an all-star. Played in St. Louis. He was an all-star. So, you know, it's almost like, I don't know if they're not drafting the right players for Arizona, or maybe they're not giving them enough time, or maybe they just are not the right players, and, and the players needed to change the scenery. Yeah. But for how bad they were, for as long as they were, you would think that they would have some buildup, like the uh, Colorado Avalanche mm-hmm. have, or maybe is what we're starting to see um, with the Edmonton Oilers for how bad they were for so long, you know, that rebuilding process. At least make the playoffs, but again, it just seems like they never could grab onto those draft picks and hold on to them tight enough. And and I think that that's where Arizona was suffering the most was drafting the wrong players. And so you look around the league, and for the reasons we just mentioned, 
Bill Armstrong is probably the best guy out there as far as an amateur scouting aspect. He sees young talent. He he gets to know players. He talks to players. He sees if there's anything in there uh, that could translate to the National Hockey League. And and again, I think for that reason, Arizona is going to be very, very pleased with that. You talk about a team that, and this just goes into my, my thought process of how, you know, the NHL draft is a conspiracy theory. You know the Coyotes have never had a first overall pick? That's surprising. And for oh, yeah, how right. bad they've yeah. been. Joe, they haven't had anything higher than a third-round pick before. No, I'm sorry. Anything higher than a four, no, third pick because Strom was a third overall pick. How is that possible for a team that has been that bad? Well, and I remember, uh, what was the year Austin Matthews was drafted? So Austin Matthews, I believe, was 2016. Was that 16? If I'm not mistaken. Okay, so yeah, 2016, Austin Matthews goes number one overall. And yeah. everyone thought... That you know, that could be that could be the guy that is the number one overall pick, and especially because he's from Scottsdale. Yeah, they thought it was like too good to be true. Uh-huh. Of course, Toronto won the draft lottery that year, mm-hmm. and they get Austin Matthews. And um, it seems like it's always a Canadian team. It is Connor McDavid, you know, yeah. Austin Matthews, all these guys. But again, conspiracy theory. <laughs> that was the closest, and I think if it was a conspiracy theory for Arizona, and you know, yeah. It would have benefited them tremendously if they could have got Austin Matthews to stay home. Yeah. So I was looking into some of the numbers last night, and this just goes to show you how good. And this is going to be a task for the Blues to to repeat because, you know, when they lost Yarmo Kekalainen, that was somebody who had a lot of draft experience that found a lot of diamonds in the rough, a TJ Oshie, a David Perron. Um, And then Bill Armstrong takes over. Listen to this, Joe. So since 2010, that was the last time the Blues had a pick before number 20. They're the only team in the NHL not to have a pick in the top 11 since 2011. So 29 of 31 teams have had multiple picks in the top 15 since 2011, but the Blues have had the second-best record in the NHL since 2011. That's amazing. That's that's Bill Armstrong. That's finding a Colton Pareko. That's finding some of these players, a Robert Thomas, a Jordan Cairo. He's finding these guys who are 15th, 16th, 17th, heck, 26th. Some guys picked to the second round. And you're finding guys who can be effective at the NHL level. He, I'm telling you, he's got a nose for the game. He's got an eye for the game. Um, seeing young talent, that is probably, to me, Alex, the toughest job. I think I think he has or had the toughest job in the National Hockey League. Yeah. I mean, over over being a general manager. I mean, general manager, yeah, you're dealing with cap, but you have analytics guys deal with that. You have to manage uh, rosters, but you have a pick. You know, you have the American League to deal with, and that's kind of really about it. And you got some trades out there if you want to get a player. To me, um, what Bill Armstrong did, amateur scouting is the hardest because mm-hmm. how do you know? Like you're predicting the future. You, you are you are predicting is this kid going to be good or not? And some players that are dynamic in juniors and dynamic in college uh, end up becoming just duds, right? Yeah. And then the flip side, you have uh, an Artemi Panarin out there that kind of squeaks through and no one drafts and uh, you know signs as a free agent with the Columbus Blue Jackets and it's just it, it is amazing to me to see people out there who have such a keen eye for a 16- or 17-year-old kid. They watch him play. you got to think about the competition that he's playing. you got to think about uh, the consistency of the player. What kind of guy is he in the locker room? you got to talk to the coaches. you got to what kind of what are his practice habits mm-hmm. like. And you have to put all this into an equation that doesn't even – there's not even an equation. It's just in your brain about – do you think this guy is going to be an effective player in the National Hockey League? And and you're wrong most of the time, but every now and then you're you're, you're right. And for Bill Armstrong, he was right the majority of the time. And and I go back to it. It is hard, man. It is hard because I, I you know as a player, you look at players that have made it and didn't make it, 
And so many guys were like, how the heck did he make it? He was brutal. He, I mean, Scotty Mayfield. Yeah. Played junior varsity at Webster, uh, Webster High School. Uh-huh. You know, I would never have thought he's going to play in the National High School. Kyle Kramer was a kid who went to my high school. He played C team as a freshman. C team. <laughs> uh, I think JV his sophomore year at CBC. Never very good. You know, he played four years in, in, in hockey school college i mean it's just it's insane to see how players progress and, and and bill had a good eye for it did you ever have an opportunity to work under somebody in a front office once you retired never did no. i would love did to. you want to you know how would i you know i think that i would like to now i would like to kind of sniff around at that what do you think gm bit. scout yeah i think you know I, I would say kind of a almost like what bill armstrong was assistant yeah. gm or gm to a, an american hockey league team kind of yeah. in control of the scout because again that that that's the bulk of it. That's the bulk of your franchise right there. Is, yeah. is having a guy like that that has good guys underneath them and and the scouts that put in the tireless hours. Yeah. You know, they don't make a ton of money and those guys are just uh, on the road so much. They get so used to hotel room service and <laughs> I mean they they literally don't stop too. So uh, you know from Bill Armstrong, not only him but all the scouts underneath the Blues that they still have. Uh, they've done just done a tremendous job. Well, not to crush your dreams, Joe, but um, it's not ever going to happen for you because you're too good at what you do now. Oh, thanks, Alex. Yeah. I was waiting for you to yeah. say that. You can't, you can't do it, buddy. Okay. People would be devastated. We'll take a break. We'll come back. Sam Gagne is a teammate of Joe Vitale's with the Arizona Coyotes back in the 2014-15 season. He joins us next year on 101 ESPN. Back in here on This Week in Hockey on a Tuesday night, hour number two, Alex Ferrario, Joe Vitale with you in your home for the Blues, 101 ESPN. Pleased now to welcome in NHL forward who was drafted back in 2007 and a former teammate of Joe Vitale's with the Arizona Coyotes. He is Sam Gagne. Sam, how are you tonight, buddy? I'm doing great, guys. Thanks for having me. Sam, the one thing I remember about you in Arizona, I don't know if you did this your whole career, but Alex, this kid, he would sit in his locker room in the stall and not get dressed until about a minute to go. Like a minute before we needed to be on the ice, he'd be still in his like his Under Armour gitch or whatever, and everyone's like buckling their helmets, and he didn't even have his jock or his shin pads on at all. But every time he made it on time, Sam, what was with that? Well, I'm I, I'm I've always been a fast dresser, and um, you know I, I did that growing up. I just throw on my gear and go play. Um, and it was actually advice from my old man. Um, you know, I, I was I was starting games slow early in my career, and it was it was kind of to create like a sense of urgency. So I'd uh, I, you know I'd try and wait to the last possible moment to get my gear on and throw it on and, and be ready to go. Um, and it kind of created a sense of urgency for me uh, for when the game started. And um, I, it, it seemed to help. I, I feel like I've, I've had a better start since I started doing it. You know, that's actually a really good point because I bring my kids to hockey games now. We get dressed at home because of this pandemic. And by the time we get them dressed at home, we sit them in the car for 20 minutes. They get there. They're almost like so exhausted. But do you have any idea how yeah. bad I've always wanted to – uh, reach over there at one point during a practice, not a game, but I wanted to take a pair of scissors, me and BJ Crombie, who you were sitting by, and we always just wanted to take a snip right around your mid lace, so just see you panic right before warmups. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, my my dad actually has a funny story about that. Um, Neil Broughton was the same way when he played, and he said uh, the, the one day at practice he, he was getting getting ready really late, so they did that to him. They cut his lace. And so they're all they're all in the ice doing their like kind of laps before practice and figured that he was going to be late. And he hops on the ice just as practice is about to start 
and he has his skates taped on. He didn't even put laces in. He just taped them on, and he didn't even give guys the uh, the credit. He just, just went through his practice with his skates taped on and didn't even say anything to anybody. It was hilarious. Okay, well, well now that we brought up EJ Crombie, Sam, we got, I got to ask you this because Joe and I have talked about this before. We've talked to Shane Doan about this, and we talked to BJ about this. How much of a pain in the you-know-what was B.J. Crombie when you guys played sewer ball before games? Well, he was, it wasn't just sewer ball. He was a pain in every facet of life. I think Joey can attest to that. Um, he was one of those guys who was always – I called him – when we played in Arizona, I called him Biff from uh, Back to the Future. He's one of those guys always bullying people and keeping everyone honest. But uh, he, he was a lot of fun to play with. He's – He's one of those guys. He kept things interesting in the room and uh, kept everything really light. So he was uh, he was a great teammate. Yeah, well, I think a lot of people in St. Louis, he played a few years here, they still uh, loved him. And you still see the number 26 crown being floating around uh, at St. Louis Blues game. So, Sam, I'm curious, what's this offseason been like for you, man, uh, with the pandemic hit? And, of course, you wrapped up the season with the Detroit Red Wings in a trade from Edmonton. And Detroit didn't have the opportunity to, to p- return to play in the bubble. So this has been a really weird and long offseason for you. Yeah, it's been really long, but uh, from a, a, a family perspective, it's actually been really good. I mean, um, you know, my career, I've moved around a lot in the last little bit. Um, got three young kids, and, um, you know, I think just just having a chance to, to be stable in, in one home and, and just be together as a family has, has been really good, actually. And uh, so we've enjoyed that aspect of it. And then just, you know, uh, skating, training, I, you know, we're not sure when we're going to have to go back, but just trying to stay as ready as possible and then, uh, you know, kind of a sprint to the finish once you find out what's happening. Sam, you bounced around quite a bit in your career. First rounder uh, with the Edmonton Oilers. And, of course, you went to Arizona, a little time in Columbus. I mean, Vancouver, you've been pretty much everywhere. Like, finishing off in Detroit. You know, the big news here and right now in St. Louis is Alex Petrangelo, who's a UFA. Uh, you've been in this situation before with contract negotiations between your agents and teams. And, you know, maybe talk a little bit about what a player like Alex Petrangelo is going through mentally, emotionally right now, especially when you involve a wife and kids and, and a big decision like he's got here coming up in a couple weeks. Oh, absolutely. I mean, um, you know, obviously mine was on a, a lot larger scale going through the free agency than, than he's going to deal with. And, um, you know, he's he's been in St. Louis for a long time. He's a captain there, wins the Stanley Cup there. Um, you know, he's, he's raising, he's got triplets, doesn't he? Um, so, uh, you know, there's a, there's a lot of emotions that go with, uh, you know, being attached to St. Louis Blues and having his family there. Um, and then, you know, you add free agency to the mix and, you know, there's going to be a lot of suitors for him. So I, I think that uh, I'm sure that uh, it's an emotional time for him. Um, you know, whatever decision he ends up making, I'm sure it's going to be the best decision for him and his family. And, um, you know, I, I've, I've had friends that have gone through it at kind of a large scale like him. And, you know, it, it takes a lot out of you. But, um, you know, ultimately you're deciding the future of your family and your career. And, um, you know, it's a big decision. So. Um, you know, I'm sure whatever he decides, um, you know, he's going to be really happy with and, uh, you know, obviously hoping the best for him. I've heard nothing but great things. Since we're on that, that topic, Sam, I'm curious because you've played against Alex Petrangelo in the NHL and you've played on teams with number one defensemen. How rare is it to see a guy like Alex Petrangelo get to this point where he's close to free agency? Yeah, you don't see many guys like him go to market. I think he's, um, you know, he's one of the best defensemen in the league. He does it on both sides of the puck. 
Um, he's a calming presence. He's a leader. Uh, so, you know, whoever ends up getting him, um, you know, if he resigns in St. Louis, great. And if he goes to market, I think uh, they're getting an, an impact player that's, uh, you know, really could change the fortunes of a lot of teams. Sam, you know, one thing we always talk about here in St. Louis with the Blues is not only young guys up and coming, but who could who can maybe have a, a second bounce back in their career or even a third bounce back. And and if there was one player that I played alongside that had like great comebacks, I'd say it probably was you. You know, the Edmonton Oilers kind of freed up that contract. They kind of moved you. I think it was the Tampa and then Arizona settled on the contract. And I think at that year and that time in your life, probably everyone was thinking the same thing. This, this may be uh, the beginning to the end for Sam Gagne but you had an incredible bounce back there in Arizona and then you go to Columbus and and then you sign a whole new deal and a whole kind of second career comes out of it Um, maybe talk to me and Alex about kind of the mental state or kind of just your the peaks and valleys of your career and kind of what you went through as far as how to reignite yourself or reignite uh, that second career throughout your playing days well, yeah, I mean, I appreciate that. I think the biggest thing for me is um, I love the game. Um, I have a huge passion for it. And, uh, you know, when, when things do get difficult, um, you know, that kind of allows me to, to, you know, keep pushing forward. And, you know, I have a great great family at home that really supports me uh, in anything that I want to do career-wise. Um, so that's obviously really helpful. I know, Joey, that you, you know from firsthand experience how hard it is with it a family to be moving around and they've been nothing but supportive. So, um, you know, that part of it kind of makes it easy for me to just go out and focus on playing hockey. And then from there, you know, I just love the game and try to continually improve at it. And, you know, sometimes things go my way, sometimes they don't. Um, but, you know, I, I'm going to keep playing as long as I can for as hard as I can and, uh, you know, just uh, keep enjoying it. That's an awesome look at it. We're talking with Sam Gagne, NHL forward, who just wrapped up this season with the Detroit Red Wings, played with Joey in the Arizona Coyotes organization back in the 2014-15 season. Sam, with that being said, what you just mentioned, how important is it as an NHL player to to easily accept a new role on a team? Because as you know, as Joey knows, and as fans have seen in the NHL, you can't just be the same guy every year. I mean, you were drafted sixth overall by the Edmonton Oilers, and of course that changes roles over time, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's some guys that are fortunate enough to go their entire career playing on a certain team in a certain role, Um, and uh, they're very fortunate to be able to do that. I think... uh, for the you know for the most part guys you have to learn to uh you have to learn to adapt and um you know kind of accept a role and 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 fit into certain roles and um you know that that's how you uh you last in this league and you know it's a hard league to stick around in um and you know if if you want to be a guy that has some longevity you have to be willing to accept the role and you have to be willing to adapt so i think that's kind of been my focus Sam, we see a lot of jerseys here in St. Louis. It's a growing hockey town, uh, mostly blues. But if I had to pick one other guy that I see a kids wear the jersey of the most in the city, it's probably Connor McDavid. And I know you played mm-hmm. alongside Connor for, for a while here. And I love just asking players, uh, because I get the question all the time, what was it like playing with Sidney Crosby? It's probably the number one question I get. And I know you probably mm-hmm. are in the same boat with Connor McDavid. But is there anything that – just to you in your mind, just a story or the way he prepares or something he does that just stands out and uh, in, in kind of helping him become what I believe the, the best hockey player in, in the world right now. Yeah. I mean, um, 
you know, I think you know this about me, Joey, that like I'm a kind of a, I always, I always get mad at you for um, for never taping your stick and 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 having the the second stick on the bench be like, you know, an old tape job. Yep, I remember that. And um, yeah, right. And so so Connor is that way, and I would always get mad at him about it because he 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 goes the entire game using the same tape job, and I'm like, you're the best player in the world. You should be retaping your stick every period. But, um, you know, I think that's what makes him so successful is he just goes out there and plays. That's that's kind of always the way he's been. And, um, you know, he, he's a guy who's always trying to get better. He's always working at it. You know, you look at the way he plays and you think, you know, he, he's got all this speed. It's just a natural talent. But he really works at it. And, you know, that's what makes him so successful. I mean, uh, playing with him kind of up, up close uh, and seeing some of the stuff he's able to do in practice, it's it's unbelievable. There's no player like him in the game today, um, and it, it was a lot of fun to play with him. Uh, so, you know, I, I have nothing but good, good things to say about Connor. As we wrap up with Sam, and we're talking about Connor McDavid, of course, Sam, your former teammate at Edmonton, i got to ask you about the other teammate, the one that just won the MVP, Leon Dreisaitl. Just your thoughts on the way that he plays the game and his approach to the game and, and what we're seeing from a one-two punch with the Edmonton Oilers. Yeah, I mean, um, I think they both help each other a ton. Uh, you know, I think, like, Leon has taken another step in his career uh, and is really uh, – you know, taking things to a new level. I think playing with Connor and the pace that Connor plays at, um, you know, has really elevated Leon's uh, game that way. Um, but, you know, he's a guy, he's just a great player. He, he creates so much. He's probably the best passer in the game. Um, you know, I think, uh, you know, he he won he won the Art Ross and then, um, you know, winning the, the, you know, the two major awards there. It's, uh, it's obviously an amazing accomplishment and, uh, you know, all his teammates are really happy for him, so that's great. Last one I got for you, Sam. Yes or no, will we see Connor McDavid raise the cup wearing an Edmonton Oiler jersey sometime in our lifetime? I think so. Um, it, it's the hardest trophy to win. Uh, a lot of things need to go right. Um, you know, There's a lot of luck involved in it, too. But, um, you know, he's a great leader. Uh, I, I think he's the best player in the world, and, you know, you just got to – you know, if they can surround him with, uh, you know, more and more talent, um, you know, he's going to do what he can to elevate in those big moments and, uh, you know, hopefully bring a cup back to Edmonton. Well, Sam Gagne, it's awesome to get the chance to chat with you. Thank you so much for taking some time out tonight and hopping on with uh, with your former teammate and me. Uh, I know fans look forward to getting a chance to hear from NHL players. So thank you so much. Good luck this offseason. Um, and we look forward to seeing you in the NHL this upcoming year. Awesome. Thanks so much, guys. Thanks for having me. Once again, that's Sam Gagne, NHL forward. Just wrapped up the season with the Detroit Red Wings, was playing with the Edmonton Oilers. They traded him away before the uh, the trade deadline this year and, of course, the former teammate of Joe Vitale's. We'll take a break. We'll come back and get back into the Alex Petrangelo conversation one last time before we wrap things up tonight. He's Joe Vitale. I'm Alex Ferrario. It's This Week in Hockey on 101 ESPN. Winding things down tonight here on 101 ESPN. Of course, it is this week in hockey. He's Joe Vitale. I'm Alex Ferrario. We got some basketball, playoff basketball for you coming up in just a bit. It's the Lakers and Nuggets Western Conference Final game number three. So stay tuned for that one. Joey V, I want to talk a little bit more about Alex Petrangelo because I know a lot of people have been texting in about that. This is this is the topic that everybody is talking about until the end of the offseason when there is a resolution on this front. But before we get into that, you know, we ended 
ended the first segment talking about Alex Petrangelo and how tough of a decision this is going to be and how tough of a decision it's going to be for the Blues as well. I want to play you a piece of audio, though, from Luke Korak, of course, who covers the team for the Blues. He was on Rivs and BK earlier this week uh, talking about Petrangelo and what happens without him. Take a listen. Defensively, I don't think there's anybody on this team that's going to replace what Alex Petrangelo brings to you. Maybe there's nobody even here that's going to replicate what he gives you on the offensive side, but I think the Blues are kind of uh, stuck between a rock and a hard place when it comes to that, and I think you're going to have to look internally, and that's going to be a difficult thing to do because just of all the intangibles that number 27 brings to this lineup, uh, that's going to be very difficult to replace. So that's defensively. That's the comment I'm hearing from a lot of people that, you know, it's going to be nearly impossible to fill those shoes of Alex Petrangelo. I want to look at the other side of this one, Joe. How close are we from saying that Colton Pareko is ready to be an elite number one defenseman? You know, the first thing I'll say was something that Lou said, and, and I, he's right. I mean, to some degree, I think that defensively, yeah, he, he can't be replaced as much. But I think offensively is where it's going to be the biggest hole mm-hmm. for the Blues. I actually think that um, with time, I don't know if the Blues will be suffering as much defensively as they will be suffering offensively. And what I mean by that is, you know, with Colton Preco and Marco Scandella, you know, coming up, and if you get another maybe three good four man that can just defend hard and play that snarly blue style hockey, I think defensively you're going to be okay without him. Where I get nervous mostly is offensively, especially with two, with two areas: how he gets up in the rush, how he joins the rush, how he stays in there like a forward. Um, that's hard to replace. Mm-hmm. It's hard to find the National Hockey League. There's just not a lot of people like that. Number one. That's the first aspect. Uh, but the biggest thing offensively, Alex, for me, is the power play. Who's going to QB this power play? Yeah. And that's that's where offensively the Blues will really miss him. You know, is Vince Dunn ready to take that jump as being the quarterback of the top unit? Um, I don't know. Is is Colton Pareko with that shot we saw Spurts with this past season mm-hmm. where he had some success? Is he Is he ready for that? You know, I think he's got a lot of grooming still to do to be that number one quarterback guy. Um, and if it's not ready, if he's not ready, if Vince Dunn isn't quite the guy, if he's too high high risk management uh, for Craig Berube, do they start with five forwards, which we see in the National Hockey League here and there? But that's that to me is where the Blues are really going to be hurting. Um, does Justin Falk step in? Does he take on the responsibility he didn't Carolina and run that top unit? But uh, more so defensively, I think offensively is where we're going to miss this guy the most. And with Alex Petrangelo, too, you know, it's weird thinking about life without him and what the effect is going to be on this team. And, you know, a lot of and again, we talked about this earlier, Joe, you know, you can't really believe everything you're seeing on social media of the reports that are coming out because you don't know all the sides of this. But the holdup right now, it seems at least from the reports we're hearing is the terms that come with the contract of possibly a no-movement clause or the the signing bonus or whatever it may be. But when you think of that side of this and the negotiation and, of course, the cap restraint that you're putting yourself in because of this pandemic, I find myself asking myself every once in a while, like, is it really that much of a problem? Because when you think about it, there's a lot of players and salaries that are going to come off of the books next season that's going to open up some more cap space and let's say you're able to lock Petrangelo up for eight and a half million dollars is it that much of an issue to your team locking him up and maybe walking away from some players next year you know I I don't think so I mean 
but you look at the players that you're going to need to sign after next year. I know Jaden Schwartz is going to be UFA. You're looking at a player like Robert Thomas, I think, is going to be up. Jordan Cairo is going to be up. Um, so players like that, Colton Pareko, I mean, that's a big contract, I think, coming on the horizon for Doug Armstrong, too. So those are all, to me, the top four players, I believe. I don't think I'm forgetting anyone in the mix there. Uh, Jordan Bennington. Uh, Jordan Bennington's going to need a new contract as well. Yeah. So, you know, with that being said and, and with, with the cap staying the same, yeah, you gotta you got to be a little concerned about it. You know, I think that it, it does. It just comes down back to that, that business decision for Doug Armstrong. With the money, he knows he's going to have to fork over to all these other players with the cap staying the same. And for the reality that, you know, they can't get on the same page about how this thing is structured, how much he wants, because uh, Doug is never going to put this team in jeopardy. He's not going to put this team in, in, in cap hell because of one player. He doesn't believe in it, and I'm glad he doesn't believe in it. And I think that the Blues won a Stanley Cup and were as successful as they were for as long as they were, as you mentioned, because of, of the business decisions that are made. Um, no player will ever trump what's over the team. And I know that that's Doug's mentality and mindset. Um, I still think he's going to give an aggressive offer to him. I think he's going to give him something to think about. I don't think he's going to walk away. I don't think he's just going to say, okay, enjoy free agency. Thanks, yeah. for, thanks for coming. Something pretty aggressive will be coming Alex's way. Um, I hope it catches him on a good day <laughs> where the triplets aren't keeping him up all night and he's willing to maybe to take a little bit less yeah. to hang here. And it will be less. There are teams out there that will offer him more. Someone's going to pay him nine, ten, maybe eleven million dollars. Yeah, you know, I think that the nine mark is is very realistic. Mm-hmm. Maybe if it's loaded the way he wants, um, the money will be better. And no disrespect to St. Louis, because I love St. Louis. I'm, I'm I grew up in St. Louis, and I, yeah. I'm always going to I'm going to die here in St. Louis. But there are some cities that probably are more attractive for players than St. Louis. So with the livelihood and the money being better. It's 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 not going to be the same here in St. Louis. So it's really just going to come down to how how emotionally attached is he. And you know, for the little I know, Alex, I, I don't know if it, he's as emotionally invested as as we want to believe. Yeah. And it's it's not because it's it's anything to do with his character. It's just that listen, it's just it's his type of personality. You mm-hmm. know, he's here. He plays hockey. It's what he does for a living. He won a cup. He's happy with that. And um, he's going to look after his family. Yeah. And I think that at the end of the day, that's what, what it's going to come down to. You know, you mentioned the tax side of this, um, which I think you always have to talk about when it comes to free agencies. Like players look to spots that mm-hmm. they aren't paying taxes or as much taxes because it's more money for them in their pockets. I found it interesting. This has nothing to do with Alex Petrangelo, but Brian Burke was talking about this on one of the intermissions in the Stanley Cup final about why there's no Canadian teams in the Cup final once again. And he talked about the the tax restraints when it comes to playing in Canada compared to playing in places in the United States. And it's a very interesting perspective of why you don't see Canadian teams getting those those big A-plus free agents you know, Toronto is an exception because of John Tavares and being from there. But if you think about it, Florida and Vegas and Tampa, these are these are desire in Dallas. These are desirable mm-hmm. places to go because there's no tax problems. No state income tax. I yeah. mean, that is a that's an insane when you're talking about nine million dollars. Yeah. Alex, I mean, playing in New York versus playing in Florida. Gosh, I wish I would have done the math on this because this this probably would have been good to know. But playing in New York, for example, or California and Anaheim versus playing in Fort Lauderdale. Yeah. I mean, when you're making that kind of money, it's it's a lot. It's a lot of money. And again, it's not like you're having to sacrifice by playing in like a cold city. You're going to a, a very 
great place to live. Unless you're playing in Winnipeg. Yeah. So again, yeah, exactly. But to, so to me, again, it financially, it's going to make sense for him to look at a, to look at a Florida and, and be excited about yeah. it, or to look at a Las Vegas and you got to be excited about it. You know, so or Tampa Bay. So that's that's where it gets tricky, and that's where. Listen, this is where Doug has got a yeah. a lot, a lot to consider and think about, and, and and this is probably the biggest contract negotiation he's had in his whole tenure here in St. Louis, and maybe ever will be. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if there's another going to be another one here if the next 15 years quite like the predicament in the next couple of weeks uh, for Doug Armstrong and for this Blues fan, Blues franchise. It's, me. it's funny how it works too, because of course Vladimir Tarasenko was the one at the time people were like, "Oh, how are you going to get this done?" And they found a way to get it done, and it was a very player friendly, team friendly contract. Same could be said about Alex Petrangelo, only this one is going to be effective of a team when you lose a captain, if that's where it gets to. So we'll uh, we'll be watching and talking about it all the way up to when free agency hits on October 9th. Of course, we're here every Tuesday night on your home for the Blues 101 ESPN. Joey V, as always, great stuff, big boy, and we'll talk next week. Love it, Alex. Thanks so much, buddy. Can't wait for next week. There goes Joe Vitale. I'm Alex Ferrario. We'll talk to you next Tuesday at 6 o'clock right here on your home for the Blues 101 ESPN.